Well, let me catch you up on the story of where we're up to in Acts. We had a lame guy healed. He was uh, lame for over 40 years. Um, and then the apostles went on and they explained the meaning of the lame guy getting healed and they get arrested. They get detained overnight. They get examined by the Sanhedrin and they get told, don't preach about this Jesus guy anymore. Now you can imagine it's a pretty, uh, it's kind of stirring the pot a little bit to preach about Jesus in the temple when the Jews were the ones that kind of uh, took him out. Um, then uh, they, they, uh, they get released. They say, don't talk about him anymore. They go back to the rest of the Christians and they go, let's get right into this. It's like there's a close call and it's like, no, let's just go after some more and see what God might actually do. They pray that God would do signs and wonders in their midst and that God would fill them by spirit so they'd be bold witnesses to his work. Uh, then there's this story about them sharing everything um, and they're not being a needy person among them. It's awesome. And then we get to this bit that we looked at uh, last week, which was the sharing bit, but also the next bit, which is in Acts 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. And, uh, and this, this couple that sell this bit of land and uh, come and present the money. And the issue was not that they didn't give all of the proceeds from the land. The issue was that they said they gave all of the proceeds from the land. And uh, you know what we have? We actually have the first sign of wonder. But it's not the sign of wonder probably that many people were kind of looking for. But we actually have the first sign of wonder. And Ananias gets killed by God. And then Sapphira comes in, I think about three, three hours later, and she gets killed by God. And great fear and awe falls upon the church. And what we're actually looking at today in Acts 5 is, is a passage that really is the fulfilment of the prayer of the, uh, the Christians in Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Today, we're looking at, at the fulfilment of that prayer of God coming through. And I think what we actually see in this passage of Acts 5, 12 to 16 is we actually see the fulfillment of a prayer, human reactions to God's work and the results of going after it. Ready to go? Let's kick in. The fulfillment of a prayer. Go back to verse 12. It'd be good for you to have Acts 5 open in front of you. Verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Here's a, uh, a map of the, uh, the temple. And uh, Solomon's portico is actually down this side of the temple area, right? Now, have a look down the bottom right here, just for your interest. The, uh, the dark rectangle there is a football field. So this is a massive, this is a massive structure, all right? And uh, I think one of the great, I, think, I actually think it's quite humorous, but it wasn't for them. But one of the great ironies is that this temple only got finished only a few years before the Romans came in and trashed it. It like, took so long to build and then it was only up in its finished state for a number of years before it was trashed. What's actually happening in Acts 5 verse 12 is that lots of miracles and wonders were happening. And I wonder when you think about the uh, terminology signs and wonders, what do you actually think? Well, I, I went to the dictionary and uh, I thought what's a sign people ask for signs what's a sign and I this was a pretty helpful definition 
A sign is an object, quality or event whose presence or occurrence indicates the probable presence or occurrence of something else. It's pretty good, right? It's like you see a sign and you just go, well, that's not the thing, but that sign is a sign that there is a thing. So you could have, there's lots of different signs that you could have. When, um, when I was in um, Philadelphia in uh, 2014, I think it was, um, went over and did some on, uh, on-site study with CCF and uh, a mate of mine came as well, we a couple of Australians, there happened to be a couple of pommies uh, in the group that were studying as well and then a bunch of Americans, right? And for the first part of the, um, the, the study that we were doing, that, you know what pommies and Australians do, right? You just, you give it to each other. That's what you do, right? And all the Americans, I, I found that, I'd noticed the Americans were all pretty hesitant, right? Because there was some kind of gladiatorial battle going on between the Brits and the Australians. And like, we just don't want to get in there because that might really hurt if we get involved because these guys are like really sarcastic toward each other. And uh, once they worked out that they weren't going to get hurt, they kind of got involved, all right? And they worked out there was this dynamic that goes on between the Brits and the, and the Australians. And in some ways, that kind of ribbing that we were doing to each other over there is a sign of affection, isn't it? And that's kind of an Australian thing, isn't it? Like, we, we give each other a hard time. It's like, oh, we actually, it's not that we don't like you, it's actually that we do like you, that we're saying rude things about you. <laughs> it's kind of what we do. You see, a sign points to something greater and it's not the great thing itself. That's the point of what a sign is. You could say that flowers are a sign of affection. There's lots of signs that you see around the place. They all point to something greater. And when you come to uh, the signs that God produces, um, signs and wonders are actually revelation. All right, They actually display God to us and uh, there's some really helpful stuff that I found uh, I love if you're into reading heavy stuff like uh, John Frame is a really good guy to read because he gives you all the heavy stuff but it's kind of warm and it's kind of not dry and, and and hard to take it's actually quite warm um, and uh, he he actually says this about signs and wonders he says as mighty acts miracles display the great power of the Lord to control his creation as signs, they authoritatively reveal him. As wonders, they create in the hearts of people a religious awe because in miracles they find themselves in the presence of the living God. So one of the things that Frame talks about is uh, signs uh, and wonders and God's miracles in and of themselves teach you something about God's character and they also attest to other things that God has said about himself. I want to start with what they teach you about his character go back to the story of the exodus the 10 plagues the um the killing of the firstborn sons at the end what what did those plagues or what this is audience participation time what do those plagues tell you about who god is he's sovereign he's He's more sovereign than pharaoh which technically means pharaoh wasn't sovereign right He's, he's more powerful than pharaoh like you don't even kind of need to have any other information. Like the, the act in itself actually tells you something about God. It tells you that he's in charge. What, uh, what do you learn about God from the Ananias and Sapphira sign of wonder? Audience participation. He's holy. Anything else? Doesn't like lies. Yeah. See, 
you learn stuff, right? You get that? Oh, you actually learn stuff from a sign and a wonder or something that God does. What, what about um, Acts 3, uh, the lame beggar being healed? What do you learn about God from that? He's compassionate. What else? He's a healer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. He's personal. Yeah. Yeah. You see that? Signs and wonders, just in and of themselves, tell you something about who God is. But the other thing that signs and wonders do, that Frame talks about, is signs and wonders actually attest to God's revelation. They actually confirm and affirm the things that God has actually said. So you go back to the story in Mark chapter 2 of the, the friends bringing the paralytic into Jesus. Uh, does anyone, anyone remember this story? The first thing that Jesus says to this bloke on this uh, stretcher is what? Your sins are forgiven, right? Now what does Jesus do after that? He heals him. So the healing is meant to confirm that his sins are forgiven. You see that? So that's, yeah, you can actually learn something about God from that healing, but that healing actually has a functional purpose of confirming what Jesus has just said. Do you see that? Now that's not the last one. Uh, you, you see this in uh, John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You can learn something about the miracles that Jesus does just in and of themselves, but the purpose of all the miracles and the signs and wonders with Jesus is to confirm the person that he is, that he is God in the flesh. You actually see this, uh, we don't have time to go through it today, but you actually see this in Acts chapter 3. Now just hang with me, I'm, I'm building an argument here, right? So uh, track with me here, but um, you go back to Acts chapter 3. What, when, the, when the crippled man who's been crippled for over 40 years gets here, what's the next thing that Peter does, he actually tells them what it means. And what it means is it actually means that Jesus is alive and the gospel is the real deal. So the healing of the cripple attests to the truthfulness of the gospel and Peter needed to tell everyone what the truthfulness of the gospel was so that those two things would go together. Does that make sense? Now, generally I think... Um, generally. I think it's probably always the case that signs and wonders probably do both most of the time, okay? But here's, here's a question that you have to ask, and you have to ask this because uh, um, theologians and Christians kind of split over this one, right? And that's this one, are signs and wonders for today? Now that that's a big question, right? And if you, if, you know, uh, if you know your theological background, you know the word for it is uh, cessationism, which is the, uh, uh, many of the spiritual gifts, like tongues, healing, um, ceased at the end of the apostolic age. Now, if you want some more on spiritual gifts, you can go back to our series last year um, on the spiritual gifts. Um, that was really helpful for us as a church, I think. But you just need to know there's a significant divide on people who are saying that. No, we actually think uh, what actually happened back there is not necessarily the same thing that happens anymore. There's been some changes. Some of those gifts have kind of died out. And they're not kind of um, kicking around as much as what they were. And other people are going, no, no, it's, it's, uh, we're, still, we're still in the same kind of zone as, as back then. Um, 
And one of, one, of the, one of the key arguments, and you can actually see this in the book of Acts, is that uh, Luke seems to be pretty keen to tie off signs and wonders in the book of Acts directly to the apostles, okay? There are other people in the book of Acts that do signs and wonders, but there's not many, and most of the time you actually see Luke tying off signs and wonders to the apostles. Now, why would he want to be doing that? Audience participation time. Attestation, right? What, why, why is God doing signs and wonders through the apostles? Because the scriptures are being written and the early church is being set up and the, author, the apostles are authoritative. And God's saying they are authoritative and this is the sign that they're authoritative. And there seems to be some uniqueness to that. You could kind of say the same thing about, about Jesus in the Gospels is that it looks just a little bit unique. You know, you have this flurry of miraculous signs and wonders going on, but Jesus is a pretty unique character, right? Like, there's no one else like him, and, and no one else has done anything that he's done. So, it leaves us with the question, does it not? Like, are they actually for today? And uh, just, to, just to help some of you relax at this point, um, that's not our position that they've, they've stopped, okay? It's just not our position. But I do want to just sound a little cautionary note here. There, there appears to me to be times in history where signs and wonders abound and there's a flurry of them, all right? And you, just, you probably just don't want to be too quick to jump to the idea that we're going to see the flurry, the consistency of the signs and wonders that Jesus did continuing on now, okay? I, now, I'm not saying that it won't happen in bits and pieces but but I think actually if you look at Jesus and you look at the apostles do you actually see in church history that there's been individuals that have had that kind of consistent signs and wonders kind of authority and power and it's actually a little bit hard to find them okay it's just a little bit hard to find them Um, so I guess what I'm saying to you is just be a little bit cautious because I actually think that there is something really unique going on um at the time of Christ and the time of the early church. That's really what I want to throw out to you. But the, the, um, the, the thought, the, the principle that miracles attest to the truth of the word of God and the gospel, we're not done with that yet. <laughs> you know, since the early church, there have been times where miracles and signs and wonders have flourished, especially in revivals. So here's, here's a question for you. Can we expect the same kind of flourishing of signs and wonders that occurred in the life of Christ and in the early church now? That's a good question, right? And I think the answer is yes and no. (laughs) Which is the answer to most of the questions that I ask when I preach. You know, do, do we think that the, uh, the type of, uh, or the way of doing ministry that we see in the Gospels is the way that we should do it? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, I, look, I think there's similarities between the way that Jesus did ministry and the way that the Apostles did ministry and what we see in the book of Acts, that is, there's going to be similarities between that and the way that God would have us to do ministry. And two, two of the question marks or two of the, 
categories that I think are helpful to think about when you think about is, is the way that ministry was done back then normative to how we're supposed to do it now? I think two of the things that you could just kind of think about are just method and frequency, all right? So let me just take the first one, method, all right? Would we use similar methods? Well, maybe. Yes and no, probably. Do, do you know why? there's probably going to be some similarities. Like there's going to be a dependence on God similarity. But even when you actually get down to, if, if you want to say praying for someone is a method that we need to copy, like you can actually go to signs and wonders and miracles where someone actually didn't pray for someone. <laughs> Jesus said, just be healed. You know, so even at that kind of basic, kind of rudimentary kind of level, you're just going, okay, you, you want to actually nail down some similarities. We, just right at the front end, we're actually, like if that becomes a method for the way that we're meant to do stuff, it's just a little more tricky than that. You know, do, if we're saying that the method has got to be the same, does that mean that like our method for saving the world is we've got to get everyone out on their stretchers and in their wheelchairs and get them in the shadow of the elders of the project as they walk past? Like that, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, even think about the way that Jesus healed blind people. He, he actually didn't do it exactly the same way every time. Uh, John chapter 9, he spits in the dirt, makes mud with it, wipes it on the guy's eyes, and he's got to go and wait and wash to be healed. In Mark chapter 10, he just tells the guy that he's healed and he gets healed. You just have to be a little bit careful with method. You know, God's a person and the people he heals are people also. They're person. They're persons also. There'll be differences even when there are similarities. Let me just deal quickly with uh, frequency. Should we see, should we expect to see the same number of signs and wonders as Jesus and the apostles saw? Now some would quote the Gospel of John and say we should see more which is John 14 verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. But the critical thing there in that verse is what does Jesus mean by works and what does he mean by greater? Like you've just got to work out a few of those kind of things. It, it might mean greater in another sense to what we expect. The one thing I think you can say is uh, something that uh, Piper actually says is from that verse out of John 14 verse 12 is that you can expect there to be continuity between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry that he calls us to now. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to say healing was part of Jesus' ministry but it's not going to be part of our ministry now. Okay, That doesn't make any sense at all to me. I think in some ways there was, a, um, there was a reason why there were so many with Jesus in the early church because it was attesting to something. They were pretty unique times. But you know what? There have been times through history where there's been a flurry of God's activity in the supernatural. And it's not that it doesn't seem to happen in other times. There just seems to be, for those who have been around long enough, there just seems to be little clusters along the way and it doesn't mean it's not happening at other times and that God doesn't want to do stuff it just looks like there's clusters at other times I mean Jesus himself said that there were reasons why uh, miracles couldn't be done 
Uh, Matthew 13, verse 58, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Uh, miracles wouldn't be done because of the unbelief of the people. But here's, uh, here's where we start to pick up a bit, all right? I'm just kind of helping all the conservatives here, okay? Um, you need to be careful that you don't stop taking and asking God for taking risks and asking God for gutsy things. Because who knows that we might be in a cluster or a cluster might come or maybe in between the clusters, who knows that lots of God gets involved and God does lots of things. So you should ask him to do stuff. I think the best reason why um, we believe that the project that Signs and Wonders are still for today is because of Bible teachers that they are. Okay? And one of the key areas where it teaches that they are is 1 Corinthians 12 uh, to 14. And I just want to read you this section out of it because this, this just highlights a couple of things, right? Because I've kind of spent a bit of time telling you that there's something unique going on at the time of Christ and the apostles, but I actually want to show you that this is still a real deal for us uh, right now. So 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 31 is on the screen then. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then what? Then what? You guys are pretty inspired today. Did you, now, you probably didn't pick something up there, but right there, there's a separation between the gift of apostleship and the gift of miracles. Did you see that? And if you go back a few moments, I was actually talking about how Acts seems really keen to tie off the miracles to the apostles, capital A apostles, in Acts. All right? And then you've got Paul saying, no, no, this is a thing. This is a thing, and this thing is still going. Then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, when you go back to Acts, you know that there's a, a couple of characters that kind of are quite significant and they pop up who are actually doing signs and wonders. And one of them is uh, Stephen. In Acts 6 verse 8 it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people, not an apostle. And then you get to Acts 8 verse 6, and Philip the deacon was also doing signs and wonders. And so what we actually see from 1 Corinthians 12 here is you see that it's consistent. There's a consistent uh, thread going through here that there's something about signs and wonders that uh, attests to what's going on in the life of Christ in the early church, and there's something that's going on um, that, well, there's a continuation of it for other people as well. You go to Galatians 3 verse 5 and it says, in the churches of Galatia, it says this, Does he who supplies a spirit to you and works miracles among you do so, by work, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? God's up to something in the churches of Galatia and it's not restricted to the apostles. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, I think this is really helpful, it is perfectly clear that in New Testament times the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. So you know what this means? You can get in on it. That's what it means. It means you can get in on it. You know, because the critical 
part of the critical piece when it comes to signs and wonders is not the instrument but the actor. Who's the actor? God. <laughs> That's the critical piece, all right? Now, remember, well, you won't remember because I've heard all those, you know, you know all those stats about how, what percentage of what a preacher says people remember like 10 minutes after you finish, like make you want to resign and give up. All right. So you probably don't remember, okay, but I'm just going to tell you because repetition's good and God does repetition because he knows that about us too. You have to hear things multiple times to get them. Um, right back at the beginning of the Spiritual Gifts series that we did last year, I asked the question, the first sermon was, how does what you expect influence or affect what happens at church or somewhere else? Does anyone remember that? Jeez, oh, you guys, top of the class, eh? We're going to have another Restoration Sunday right here. Here's my testimony. Here's what I said, right? Now, I talked about the difference between saying you believe something and functionally believing something, right? Uh, Saying you believe something and not operating on that basis is just a crock, like you don't even believe it. So just forget about that stuff. What you functionally do reflects what you functionally believe in, okay? So what you functionally believe affects, and here's the first one, um, how you connect with what God is doing, right? If you have an expectation that God's up to stuff and he's going to be doing stuff and it's probably going to be outside your category sometimes because it often is in the Bible, um, you're probably just going to be a little bit more alert and be able to see his work around the place, right? If you've got him locked down and stitched up and you've got him more controlled and everything, you're probably just not going to see as much stuff going on around the place. You, you, you probably won't see it. You with me? Here's the, um, here's the last piece. What you functionally believe not only affects what you see, it affects what you ask God for. Now, there's some things that you need to know about God, and I talked about this last year, and some things you need to know about us. Here's something you need to know about us, is James 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. So God is a person, and when you ask him for stuff, he responds to you like a good father okay so if your expectation is oh nothing's going to happen it's going to be flat it's just going to go sarah sarah whatever will be will be well you know what he's probably just not going to do stuff for you as much because he said that he's the kind of person that you're asking for stuff and he'll respond to what you ask for so sometimes what actually happens in james chapter 4 verse 2 is sometimes you can just not ask for things and because you didn't ask for them you didn't get them Is it possible, is it theoretically possible that God could have done a miracle through you and you didn't get it or it didn't happen because you didn't ask him? I think so. I think it is. This one from uh, Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Listen to this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So your expectation about how your week flows and what's happening in your week and what's happening with your next-door neighbours and your workmates um, and what's going to happen at church affects your 
seeing the things that God is doing and it affects your asking him to do things. And so it actually does affect what happens. Now, you can see God responding to people in the book of Acts, right? You don't actually have to look very far to see the powerful and supernatural acting of God in affirming and confirming the gospel and the truth about Jesus. It was about drawing people to the saving reality of Jesus. And you know what? What have we got in Acts? We've got supernatural signs and wonders happening and thousands of people come into faith. And I, you know what I do? I just go, let's get that going. Yeah. <laughs> all right? And some of you probably go, yeah, but you can, the church can get all distracted by um, signs and wonders. And yeah, you can. All right? I was talking to uh, Jaden about this. He said he's a pastor down on the Gold Coast. He said it would be weird to go up to a road sign and be amazed by what the sign's pointing you toward and then set up camp around this road sign. Pull your swag out and just go, this sign's awesome. You know, and a lot of churches kind of can do that. Like Christians can do that. God can get up to a whole bunch of stuff and you pull your swag and you just think, we're going to camp out in the sign. It's like, no, the sign points you to Jesus. You've got to stay anchored in Jesus. It's all about Jesus, not about the fireworks. So here's, here's a question for you. Is God still interested in affirming the truthfulness of Scripture and who he is? Yes. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. You bet. But you know what? You've got to put yourself out there. Yep. <laughs> You've got to put yourself out there. I was talking with someone this week, and uh, it was just an interesting conversation, right? Now, this, this particular fellow, he, um, he said, you know what? He goes, uh, this week, he said, I really had it on my heart that I needed to pray for my boss. So, um, uh, one uh, one night, I, this particular night, I prayed for my boss and I prayed that God would bump into my boss, right? And I prayed for about half an hour that night and then the next, boss wasn't a Christian, the next morning prayed for about an hour for the boss, saying, God, would you, would you bump into him? Uh, anyway, so the next morning, he's just got this sense, like, I think that God wants me to call my boss and just tell my boss that I was praying for him last night, right? So the, he gets on the phone, he calls his boss and uh, he says, uh, I, just, I just want to let you know something. Uh, I was praying for you last night and this morning. He didn't go into a lot of detail. He just said, I just want to let you know I was praying for you. And you know what the boss said? The boss said, huh, maybe that's why I didn't have a very good sleep. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know. Did God literally bump into the boss? I, I don't know. But someone prayed and something happened. <laughs> I don't know exactly what was going on. I don't know exactly what God got up to. But someone prayed and something actually happened. And there's heaps of times in the book of Acts where people get saved on the back of God doing a miracle. You know, when you take risks and you move into stuff for God's glory and people's good, can you expect God to get busy? Yes. I reckon. You know, miracles can wake people up to something other than what they see, right? It can shatter the sceptic. Gruden says it can confirm the truthfulness of the gospel message, bring help to those in need, remove hindrances to people's ministries and bring glory to God. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. You know, 
signs and wonders, miracles can help people focus on the gospel and not be distracted by other things and we should pray for those. You know, we go back to Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians, Acts 4 and the, uh, the new Christians are, are praying fervently that God would do signs and wonders. Do you? That's a good prayer, right? And I just want to let you know, at the project, we are into signs and wonders. And we'll have as many of them as God will give us. <laughs> okay? We'll, we'll be careful not to be distracted from Jesus because Jesus is the centre of everything. We just really love him. So we're going to be careful to make sure that any sign or wonder that happens is going to get us to Jesus. But we'll take as many as we can, thanks. So... Remember the, uh, the two purposes of uh, signs and wonders, uh, they are in and of themselves revelation and they attest to revelation. You know, I reckon any time that you move into a zone where you need God to be doing that and you're taking risks for him, I'm not saying that it's going to happen because God's a person and he can do whatever he wants. But I just know that he gets pretty busy with that stuff because that's pretty core to what he's doing. You know, if you're sitting at home and you're going, my leg hurts and I'd just like to have a happier life, now, he might help you because he is merciful. But it seems to me he gets a little bit more busy when people are taking a bit of a risk and kind of putting themselves out there, right? Number two. What we see is we actually see human reactions to God's work. So uh, have a look at Acts 5 there. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You can actually see here three groups of people. You've got the Christians, the Jews who kept their distance, and the Jews who were the new converts. And there's this weird thing going on here where some of them are just going, ooh, we're not going anywhere near that. And then other people just going, oh, yeah, we want in. I mean, you can imagine some of this, right, at the end of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, it's like, yeah, like let's just move toward the uh, being that just killed a couple of people. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that would slow you down probably just a little bit, okay? You know, imagine if we said that here. It's like, come to Jesus, but he might kill you, <laughs> all right? It's not a particularly good kind of sales pitch, right? And you could go, well, I mean, there are over 5,000, so it's really only two in 5,000 chance that you could get taken out. You know, it's like most of my life is counting to four, and I joke sometimes where I just go, well, I've got three out of four. 75% is pretty good but that's not really very good for the 25% that I haven't got with me, you know? And it's a bit like that in this case. You know, maybe some self-preservation for people kicked in. You know what it sounds like to me is it actually sounds a lot like awe. That's what it sounds like to me, awe. You know, awe is uh, a reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. And awe turns some people away and it draws other people. It almost always does that. Awe kind of leaves in people a kind of ambivalence. Ambivalence is saying yes and no. Where people just go, I want to go to water, but I don't want to go to water. It's like a, a big kind of scary thing, um, a fierce thing, a, uh, an amazing thing might draw us in and for some people might actually repel you. It's kind of like looking at the sun. This is like one of the most frequently posted uh, images I've seen on uh, a talk show host that I watch, which uh, will remain nameless, but, um, you know, it's like looking at the sun. Um, Donald Trump in 2017 looked at the sun without any, because uh, there was an eclipse going on. 
you know, isn't, th- there is a sense of that, right, even with the sun, right? I don't know whether it's ever happened to you, but um, you can just kind of, have you ever had a moment where you just go, I just want to look at it? And you just go, well, if I look at it, I'm just going to burn my eyes out. Do you see what I'm... That's kind of the awe thing. It's like there is this amazing, massive, fierce thing and I would like to kind of go to water, but if I go to water, it's, it's going to hurt me and so you can kind of get stuck there. Here's another one from, um, from January this year. This is a um, marine conservationist and that is not photoshopped. Uh, this is on the ABC uh, News website of a marine conservationist who went swimming with great white sharks. Yeah, she wouldn't even touch the sides, right? (laughs) Now, what's she doing? She's swimming out toward a fierce creature. It's a a weird kind of dynamic what happens with humans, right? When it comes to fierce things that are bigger and more powerful than us. There is no more dangerous place in the ocean, probably many of you are thinking right now, than where she is, right? But if I personified the shark and the shark was a loving animal and she knew that the shark loved her, there actually isn't a safer place in the ocean than right next to that shark, is there? You see my point? Like all people can have different responses when they get into a place of of awe. So I'm jogging the other night and uh, I, uh, I had quite a, it turns out, I don't know whether you've ever had this, but it wasn't like anything weird or miraculous going on, right? But it turned out I was having a much bigger conversation with God than what I actually was and I didn't realise until this morning actually. I said, Man, there was a lot of conversation going on between God and I um, the other night. And uh, one of uh, the, the regular prayer that's kind of come out of me since then is, um, is this one uh, here. Uh, if you want me to do that, then I'm going to need more help from you. <laughs> that's kind of my prayer that's kind of come out of it. If you want me to do that, then I'm just going to need some more help from you, more help than what I've had so far. And uh, I'm going to, more on that later. So I'm praying and asking for um, uh, God to uh, assure me of his presence, I, I think, you know, it's like Hebrews 1.14, it's like angels are sent to be ministering servants to those who are going to inherit salvation, and I'm just going, oh, it would be really cool to see an angel, that would be cool, because uh, people have seen them, and I'd, I'd, I think I'd really like that, and I'm just kind of praying, and I'm just going, you know, like, it's not kind of a deal breaker for me, but if you just kind of somehow kind of manifested yourself uh, right now, which just means, like, make yourself really present, uh, I'd be up for that, you know, that would be, that would be a cool thing to do. And, and so what I'm doing as I'm praying, I'm thinking about all these kind of ways that, um, that things happen in Scripture and God shows up in Scripture and then I kind of realised something, I, I, I just kind of went, oh, like God actually doesn't show up the same way in Scripture very often. And I kind of was thinking, oh, here's the ways that you could actually show up. You know, just about everyone in the scriptures, when God shows up, they're surprised. <laughs> just about everyone. And not necessarily because they 
don't expect him to show up, but because he shows up in ways that they don't expect. He shows up in categories outside of their expectations. And it always results in awe and wonder, a mixture of fear and respect, a sense that God is in people's midst. And it kind of checked me a little bit the other night when I was jogging and I just thought, am I okay with him showing up however he wants? Because it's probably going to put me off. And I don't mean put me off as in I don't want to have anything to do with him. It's just going to be like, is that what we're doing right now? This is who he is, right? Some, some want to move toward it, a God like that, and some want to move away from it. And I think that's what we see in Acts 5. I'm not sure that you can be ready for it, but do you want God's activity and his movement in your life and in the things that you're doing? Now, yet, don't answer too quickly, all right? Because he, he just does things differently. Here's the other th- reason why I think you should just uh, be slow in answering that question is because it seems like more miracles and the more acti- activity of God happens when there's greater risk. So one of the questions you need to answer is, am I actually willing to be in a place where there's greater risk? Now, some of you go, I want to be in a place where there's no, no risk, all right? Well, you just can't live. Like you can't be alive because to be alive means you take risks. C.S. Lewis in his book uh, Miracles um, says this, he says, unless you live near a railway, you will not see trains go past your windows. How likely is it that you or I will be present when a peace treaty is signed, when a great scientific discovery is made, when a dictator commits suicide? Listen to this, nothing almost sees miracles but misery. Miracles and martyrdoms tend to bunch about the same areas of history, areas we have naturally no wish to frequent. (laughs) Now, Lewis pushes pretty hard and he's pushing a kind of different angle to what I'm uh, talking about this morning. But you get the point from Lewis. It's like you want God to actually get, roll his sleeves up and really do some really sweet stuff. Usually it's going to be in places where there's great risk. So one of the questions in answering, do you want God to actually do stuff through you and around you, is you're just going to have to step out and make the phone call to your boss and tell them that you're praying for them. It, it means that you're going to have to go to work and you're actually going to talk about Jesus and talk about how he loves someone and that he died for their sins when it's kind of out of the box. And you're going to have to put some stuff on the line. All right, let's finish up. Let's just have a a look quickly at the results of going after it. Verse 15 and 16. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Amazing, right? They were doing these signs and wonders in the temple area. Like, that's the place that they got in trouble last time, right? 
But they prayed this prayer and said, God, fill us up with your spirit, make us bold and back us. <laughs> back us. And amazing stuff happens. This is kind of a shadow of the things that, um, that happened for Paul later in the book. You know this one probably from Acts 19. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. It's amazing, right? Amazing, amazing stuff is happening. You've got these, these, uh, these Christians of the early church that's going, let's put it on the line. And God, as we put it on the line and we go after it, would you back us? Would you give us air support? And not only that, but the villages around Jerusalem are starting to hear about it. Word is getting out. So to this from Tim Keller, miracles lead not simply to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe and wonder. Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress and coerce. Instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry and raise the dead. Why? Listen to this. We modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. Amen? Which is a nice place for us to finish. Why? Because we are into restoring true humanity. Why? Because God's into it. Because <laughs> God's into it. You know, yeah, the, the time of Christ was a unique one. Yes, the early church was a unique one. But who's to say this is not another one? You know, God's in the business of restoration in every way. You see, at the end there, the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits were all healed. You know, the greatest miracle without doubt in my mind is a changed heart. Someone who loves God. But will God act in the interim to rescue people in physical ways? Absolutely. You know, the bottom line is that um, everyone who got healed in the New Testament died <laughs> in the end. Even the ones Jesus healed. But if the great miracle of someone's heart being changed and loving Jesus actually happened, they are completely healed right now. All of them. New body. It's all sorted. You know, you can't ever say that Jesus doesn't want to heal someone. Because he is about restorative work. Even if you prayed and nothing happened. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is out there and his gig is that he wants to fix stuff up. So, who's stuck around you? People are enslaved and stuck by evil spirits. Who's stuck around you in anything? Jesus came to bring freedom for captives. So who's stuck? Who need, who's sick around you? What non-Christians around you do you need to pray with them for their healing? Who needs to be freed from that? What, what backslidden Christians around you? They don't go to church anymore. They've dropped off. Who's around that you need God really to get involved with? God, I'm going in <laughs> and give me some air support. What people around you don't know Jesus? And that would be just totally changed if something miraculous happened and God worked in their life. Why not get in there and be praying for that? 
remember years ago, I uh, used to pray with a teacher at the school here. He's not, he only worked here a couple of years, but he was so specific in his prayers. And um, I loved it. He just, he'd study, he'd go, God, I want you to do this, and then I want you to do that, and can you do that? And like, he knew that God does whatever he pleases. That's what the Psalms say. But let's be specific about, oh, God, would you work? It's like, well, what kind of work do you want? Like, you could just ask for it, and not just once. You know, like I was reading the other day about Elijah healing the widow's son who died. He does it three times, right? He prays fervently three times. So how many times do you need to pray for something for God to do something? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer. But keep asking. Let me finish with this story. Maybe the uh, music team can come up. This is a uh, true story. In equatorial Africa, far from pharmacies and hospitals, a woman died in childbirth, leaving behind a grieving two-year-old daughter and a premature baby in dangerous succumbing to the chill of the night. With no incubator, no electricity and few supplies, a newborn's life was in jeopardy. A helper filled a hot water bottle to maintain the warmth desperately needed by the infant, but suddenly the rubber burst and it was the last hot water bottle in the village. A visiting missionary physician from Northern Ireland, Dr Helen Rosevear, asked the orphans to pray for the situation, but a faith-filled 10-year-old named Ruth seemed to go too far. Please, God, send us a water bottle, she implored. It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. As if that request was not sufficiently audacious, she added, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? The only hope of getting a water bottle would be from a parcel sent from the homeland, but she, never, she had never received one during the almost four years she had lived there. Anyway, she mused, this is the doctor, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put, it in, a hot wa- who would put in a hot water bottle? I live on the equator. A couple of hours later... A car dropped off a 22-pound package. The orphans helped open it and sort through the contents, some clothing for them, bandages for the leprosy patients and a bit of food. Oh, and this. As I put my hand in again, I felt the... Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand-new rubber hot water bottle, said Rosevear. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. With that... Little Ruth rushed forward. If God has sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too, she exclaimed. She dug through the packaging and found at the bottom of the parcel a beautifully dressed doll. Asked Ruth, can I go over with you, mummy, and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? That parcel had been packed five months earlier by Rosevear's former Sunday school class. The leader, feeling prompted by God, included the hot water bottle. A girl contributed the doll. And this package, the only one ever to arrive, was delivered the same day. Ruth prayed for it with the faith of a child. Now, God has lots of things for you to do. And they're all beyond you. (laughs) You can't actually do any of them. And I would ask you uh, today, what is God asking you to do that is beyond you that you're putting off? What is God asking you to do that is beyond you that you are putting off? And I wonder whether you uh, might even be able to join me in my prayer. 
on that jog. And I'll start it on that jog. If, if, oh, you want me to do that? Because if you want me to do that, I'm going to need some more help from you. This is Hebrews 4.16, right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You will have what you need. God's promised you that. You will have what you need. Who wants to go after it? That's the question, really. You know, like, I'd love to be able to... I'd love to be able to come to church today and, um, I don't know, get... got the email from God and he told me all the stuff that he wants to do and be able to stand up and say, guys, this is what God's going to do. But um, he's a person... And he does whatever pleases him. And he's good. And uh, so rather than just, you know, satisfying our, or my desire for control, he invites us into a relationship where we actually ask him for stuff. And so we should. But not another drink so we can sit in front of the TV. I don't think. Not way to bring me some more stuff so that my life goes well for my own ends. But I want your power and your character to be on display and I want you to attest. I want you to bear witness by signs and wonders to the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus in my workplace, in my family. Crack through agnosticism, atheism, cynicism. Do something, can you? And I'm not going to wait until you do something. I'm going to do something and I'm going to call upon you to be with me as I do it. Because too often we kind of pray and we go, God, would you do something? And then I'll move, right? And you just see over and over and over in the, in the scriptures that what you're supposed to do is you're meant to move and then he goes with you. 